All right, it is sometime in the year 2022. You know, I've had this thought. People might be listening to this like 10 years down the road from now. Wow. Should the Lord tarry. Wow. What are some things that you would want listeners 10 years down the road that are like going on in either oh, current events? Oh, St. Peter's Peacocks. That's pretty crazy. First 15 seed to the Elite Eight. It's a big deal. I'm assuming you know that I was at the uh, oh yeah University right. of Virginia yeah I remember that University of Maryland Baltimore County upset I was just there by sheer chance what else oh boy we just learned about Big B's chicken today yep 4300 Carl Road some good good fried chicken down there I'm trying I to think know. if there's any other like trends ah oh, man I'm I'm not good with that stuff all right anyway. Shout out to C.J. Miller. I want to. He, he claims that he listens, and I'm not going to tell him that I just gave him the shout out. And I'm going to see if <laughs> see if he says anything. <laughs> he's got to have. He's got to come up with like a secret code. Like uh, C.J., if you're listening, you just the way that you let your dad know that you're <laughs> actually listening is just go up to him one random night and just say manatees. <laughs> and if he, if you I'll do know. that, you'll know. I'll know. And anyone who is listening that's friends with CJ, don't let him know yeah, because this is him. this is a sheer test of, <laughs> of honesty and integrity. Really, it's honestly kind of uh, proverbial in some ways oh, about truth telling, yeah, which is true. quite the segue because we're not in Proverbs. <laughs> um, week fourteen of the Bible story, piece by piece, we're uh, in Second Kings, not to be confused with First Kings or First and Second Chronicles. Yeah, which is well. Spoiler alert, be, we'll, yeah. get it. we'll get yeah. into that. So last week we talked about how Solomon became king, super wise guy, very wealthy, and then he lets his son, Rehoboam, is the king after him. And after that, the kingdom basically ends up splitting, and we kind of follow that narrative of the rise and fall of various kings in Israel and in Judah. Mm-hmm. There's, it's Israel, the northern kingdom, is basically... Is increasing in its disobedience, and every now and then there's a good king, a godly king that comes out of the. I don't think there's any good kings at in all. Israel at all. No, but in Judah there are. Yeah, okay. there's sporadically good kings in yep. Judah, and and by good we mean like, like, repentant, wanting to follow the Lord, tearing down idols mm-hmm. and that yeah. sort of stuff. We also met, or were introduced to Elijah. Mm-hmm. And his apprentice, mm. Elisha. There you go. And yeah, we see there's just kind of a decreasing godliness in both, honestly, Israel and in Judah. You know, when you kind of think about Moses and Deuteronomy, that final charge to Israel as they're going to the promised land, this feels like pretty far off from what the kind of casted vision was. Yeah, drastically. Yeah. So anywho, this week, you know, Elijah is taken up into heaven. Elisha is this prophet that succeeds him and is the the prophet in Israel at the time. He's doing very similar miracles that are attesting to his power. And uh, meanwhile, the kings of Israel kind of continue in the sins of Ahab. He's considered like the the worst of the worst of Mm -hmm, the kings. mm -hmm. And Jeroboam, some they're even worshiping other gods. They're worshiping Baal or bowing down to golden calves. Setting up like basically worship environments outside of Jerusalem so that that they'll stay separated and yeah. Yeah. Um, So 
I mean, it's a continuation of first and se- or, of first kings. There's kind of again rises and which falls. which is why it's called second, second kings. kings. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, I there guess. Yep. Kind of like how people get confused all the time about what movie came first. <laughs> you know, Mighty Ducks two <laughs> or just the Mighty Ducks, and I just always tell them the second one came second. Follow the numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the biggest part about Second Kings that we'll probably spend most of the time talking about is towards the end, Assyria comes in, mm-hmm. exiles Israel, mm-hmm. and then later Babylon comes in and exiles Judah. That's right. And so, then just looking forward, when we get into the section of the Old Testament called the prophets, some of those prophets are speaking into Israel while they're like, you know, kind of going down this bad road and there's these those prophets are trying to call them back to faithfulness and they're saying, you know, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, and then it comes. And then some of those prophets are speaking to Judah, who is and it's kind of like, hey, don't you see what happened up north? That's gonna happen to you also. Uh and then, you know, again it's talking about um the, the judgment that's coming to them then. Yeah, so for example, like the first verse in Isaiah, it says the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Correct. All kings that will be read about in Second Kings. Correct. So that's kind of an interesting point that's worth spending, honestly. Uh, maybe it's not. Good, it's good to know that like the Bible is not, chronological in that sense so like actually now what we have been in a recently these historical books um basically since the the law you know those first five books it has been more chronological but we're going to get into now uh other portions of the bible that are that are it's not like okay and this happened next it's actually some of it's going to be speaking into situations mm-hmm. and time periods that we're reading about now. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. So that that's a great distinction that you're making because so I guess it might be helpful to kind of give a 30,000 foot view of kind of wh- where we're going. So after we finished first and second Kings, then we'll go into first and second Chronicles, which is largely a retelling of the history of the kings of the kings yeah and we'll kind of get more into maybe why that is next week mm-hmm. after that first and second kings first and second chronicles then we go that the the chronology that the timeline expands and ezra nehemiah and esther yeah and that's kind of really the end ish of the timeline for the most part of the old testament correct and after that, it's all kind of speaking back yep. into those times. Yeah. So, for example, like even like Psalms and Proverbs, so most of the Psalms are written by David. So right. it's already happened. Readers have already been exposed to David. So sometimes you'll see footnotes in Psalms that say, you know, when right after David committed the, the adultery with Bathsheba, for example. Yeah. Or Proverbs, for example, during the reign of Solomon, Solomon yeah. you know, or Ecclesiastes and things yeah. like that. So yeah. that's just something to keep in mind as, as readers are going through this. Um, we're we're nearing the end of the kind of timeline of the Old Testament. Uh, yeah, in fact, the 
Jewish Bible mm-hmm. is organized differently, yeah. and Second Chronicles is the is yep is the end. So they had it a little bit advantageous than we did. In if people are uh, get discouraged like I do when it's sometimes repetitive at times, because mm. they would have at least had that break between First and Second Kings. And then read a bunch of stuff and then finished with kind of a re- recounting almost. Yeah. But they, on the bright side, you know, if people didn't do as great of a job reading and they want, they had some questions that they had about it, it kind of uh, clears up some of those things. Yep. So hopefully that timeline kind of that made sense. So we really are just going to talk, Rev, I, I thought it would just be important to talk about the kind of concluding section of second Kings, because this really sets up kind of the remaining part of the timeline, uh, of the old Testament that later's picked up in Ezra, Nehemiah and Esther. Yep. So, you know, we've been talking about this big picture of, we know that the Messiah is going to come from a particular lineage from Abraham, the line of Judah and David and so on and so forth. And so we're, we're waiting for that Messiah. But in terms of God's presence, like this is, there has been a lot that Israel has already arrived at. Yeah. I mean, they're in the promised land that's been connected since Genesis 12. Got the temple. They got the temple. It's the permanent dwelling place of God. There's a sacrificial system Mm -hmm. that's in place. Mm -hmm. Um, They're they're in the promised land. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, the book of 2 Kings kind of takes this drastic turn as godliness is decreasing in the land of Israel. Right. It says in 2 Kings 17, In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hjala, on the harbor of the river of Gozan and the cities of the Medes. Uh, am I, did I say any of those words right? Who knows? Who knows? But that's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of getting taken away from the land. No, not kind of. They are. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's... <laughs> Yeah, they are, they are, yeah, that's the judgment that comes. Yeah. God allows, even uses, you know, the pagan nation of Assyria to um, come and exile them, take them out of their land and, and kind of bring some of their people and then, you know, take over even that land uh, that was, that was there. So it's... Yeah, there's that. That's the judgment that was prophesied, and that's the judgment that they experience. And it's a little bit like, okay, you wanted to worship these other gods of other nations, just become part of them. Then you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of a handing them over to what they already wanted to a degree. Yeah, it actually even says it in verse 7 of 2 Kings chapter 17. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt and he had, and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove them out before the people of Israel mm-hmm. and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty explicit about why they went into exile, yep. which, is, which is obviously incredibly discouraging. But the book kind of continues to get darker in that there's a second exile that ends up happening with Judah, with Judah by Babylon, by Babylon. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, it says similar pattern, similar reasoning. Well, same reasoning. Yeah. Uh, similar pattern. It just takes a little longer because there are there are these few bright spots of mm-hmm. 
you know, kings that want to fear the Lord. And so the yeah. Lord kind of doesn't bring that judgment as swiftly or as quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the same, the same, you know, destiny ends up happening just in a different place by a different power by that time, by the, by Babylon. And I mean, a, a great example to give readers an idea of how, uh, how much Judah and Israel had abandoned the instruction of God, you know, <laughs> is, is in during the reign of King Josiah, when one of his, basically one of his employees is walking through the temple and finds the, the Torah. Law. Yeah. And they don't even know what it is. They've never even heard of it. Right. You know, it's like, it's like he, it's almost like uh, something out of the Goonies or something. Yeah. Like he blows the dust off of it. And yeah. it's, it's this really sad scene where Josiah the king, he tears his clothes and begins uh, to I lament think Indiana and Jones would probably be a, maybe a better. Mm-hmm. And did that, was, did that one come before or after <laughs> Indiana Jones 2? <laughs> we already established that. Honestly, you saying Indiana Jones probably causes such a stumbling block because of all the different random biblical uh, oh yeah that's true i'm sure we'll get Anyways. our question inbox is just going to get flooded with indiana jones questions <laughs> my uncle so but yeah that's a, that's a great scene that happens uh, in terms of encouragement of the repentance that we see in judah but the exile still ends up happening nebuchadnezzar the king of babylon came in with all of his army against jerusalem and laid siege to it so he ends up destroying the city of jerusalem right and some of yeah the temples destroyed mm-hmm. takes out all the you know all the stuff and again so as the people are being taken out some of the well they 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 tried to take all for sure the you know the quote unquote best mm-hmm. and brightest you know people that they could utilize in their own kingdom which is when you read Daniel, mm-hmm. Daniel's one of those exiles. Yep. He's one of those like, hey, this guy is, must be, he looks pretty strong and smart, and, mm-hmm. you know. And so he's he's living in Babylon. Yeah, Nehemiah is probably in the same, yeah. probably falls in that same camp. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's actually pretty crazy. <laughs> like in Second Kings 25, it even mentions that the guards of Babylon leave the poorest mm. of people in Judah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's even they, like they try a, to plummage yeah. the the land. Yeah. And even the people. Yeah, but there's like there's even a classism oh, within, totally. within this yeah. uh, genocide or mm-hmm. like within this like enslaving mm-hmm. of of the people of Israel, you know, cuz it's like we'll leave the people that have no resources and couldn't do anything to rebuild this place if yeah. they wanted to. Which man, yeah, there's there's a lot of themes that can kind of go there, especially because in the in the Torah, we we saw so much about there being provisions for the mm-hmm. poor within Israel that mm-hmm. there would be the same statutes uh, for the rich and, and the and the poor and yeah, but that's kind of an intentional close to the book of Second Kings to kind of leave hope that there are some Israelites that are still in the land of Judah despite you know the way that I've described it is kind of like these exiles that we see happen throughout. Israel and in Judah is you kind of have like a, a series of fishes keep swallowing the next. You have like the, you have a big fish, Assyria that comes and swallows yeah. Israel. Then you have a bigger fish that swallows up, you know, Babylon. The second yeah. fish swallows up Assyria along with Judah as well. And then the last exile we haven't really seen yet 
is the Persian exile that we'll touch base at a, at yeah. a later time. Yeah. But I think, yeah, obviously the, the history is helpful as we try to understand what's going on, but there, there is also a, like a theology of exile that develops in terms of like in future books, it's sort of like, how do you now live as a faithful follower of Yahweh or worshiper mm-hmm. of Yahweh in a place where you're in exile? That's that's foreign. That That's not what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's like the book of Jeremiah. And a lot, like a lot of the prophets is like, how, how do you, how do you, live faithfully to Yahweh when all of the cultural uh, aspects that would support your worship of Yahweh are gone. Mm -hmm. You don't have a temple. You don't have your, you know, all these other people that are doing this. You don't have these feasts that everybody around is like, okay, this is to be, to be Jewish is, this is what we do. Well, now you're in these places where it's like, no, nobody does that. They worship all these other gods. And can you be, you know, how, how can you be faithful to Yahweh in that? And then that, that translates over into the New Testament because that language is really used mm-hmm. of Christians in the New Testament because we're not in a country. A nation state. A nation, yeah. So, the you know, Peter addresses the Christians as the strangers or the exiles that have been scattered. So there's, there's the exile is both a historical reality, but it's also like kind of a theological reality to think about. And I mean, given where we are here in America, I mean, there is (laughs) like, it's almost timely in a sense of you can, you can imagine that growing up as a Hebrew, uh, you know, as a, as a Jew living in Israel, you would have had the luxury of living in a nation of a unified religion. You know, you would have all your kids would have gone to Hebrew schooling and they would have learned the Torah and they would have had it memorized and all yep. sorts of things. And now when they're going to uh, when they're living in Assyria Babylon. or living in Babylon, you better believe that that's the, not happening. Torah is not being taught in yeah. school anymore. Yeah. Or so there's even some providential timeliness absolutely to, to the book's application of how we should live and and honestly that's what kind of what makes the prophets as they're speaking into uh hebrews during that day how you know that that just gives us something to look forward to in our bible reading as we totally. continue to look through yeah look through it yep anything else from second kings I know, I know you talked about exiles there we talked about josiah um yeah anything else i mean in a, in a second we're going to talk about questions but is there anything else from um, any other heads up you'd want to give them about First and Second Chronicles? I, I think the the heads up is the first several chapters. I think it's how many nine yep. chapters of First Chronicles are names, genealogies. Yeah, <laughs> so you kind of gotta you know crank through that, um, but then. You know, after that, it it is sort of rehearsing what happened in the Kings. Mm-hmm. There's times that it sheds different light, gives a different perspective, kind of includes some details that aren't included other places, maybe a bit like, you know, Matthew, Mark, mm-hmm. you know, sort of thing. But, the, you know, I think the biggest heads up is there's a big chunk of genealogies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one aspect that First and Second Chronicles 
readers will probably eventually realize or see the difference of is first and second chronicles looks a little bit more optimistically about what's going on in Israel and Judah at that time. You know, it's kind of, it's the last, it's the last book of the Hebrew Bible. So it's a little bit more hopeful, but first, I mean, as they're reading second Kings this week, this is a landmark time in Israel's history. Yes. The temple is getting destroyed. Right. I mean, that's a crazy ending. Yep. to and you know when later on when we read Nehemiah we'll kind of get that personal firsthand Ezra and Nehemiah like almost a firsthand testimony of how devastating that was when they come back when they come back yeah. you know when they come back and see what's going on so yeah. obviously we, uh, we we didn't cover a lot of the ups and downs of uh, the kings but felt like it was the the wisest thing there to um, talk about the bigger picture, as especially as we kind of head into. Well, it's called piece by piece. You know, it is, and we the, really, the honestly, picture. that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to piece it together. There you go. That's all we're doing. Now, some questions. Hmm. All right. Some humdingers. Yeah. All right. Question number one. Hello. Hello. How should we think about the permission of slavery in the Old Testament? This is both a difficult question and a a really important question. Do you think that this is maybe one of the biggest questions skeptics or even atheists have about Christianity today? For sure. I think when, especially when people are trying to discredit Mm -hmm. Christian values or I would say it this way when they're trying to discredit like biblical authority, mm-hmm. this is one of the issues they're like, well, wait, the Bible seems to be okay with slavery in the old Testament. So if that's the authority, you know, mm-hmm. so I think that that's, that's a pretty regular criticism. Yeah. I've, I've definitely had some fair share of conversations with, uh, non-believers that have had that same criticism Mm -hmm. and they kind of read it's it's an interesting way of reading the bible where you take today's hot button issues and then read that aspect or read that ethical dilemma into scripture or you know filter scripture through it Mm -hmm. and you kind of arrive at these convictions that a lot of people have so it's a really it's really important question for christians to think through yep so I I did some prep and I'm just gonna walk through them and then you just interrupt me. Okay. Or you should correct me if I say something wrong. There you go. Like fishes, I think fish plural is just fish, isn't it? I think it's fish. <laughs> right? I don't know. I have no idea. There you go. Uh, okay. First, it's important to keep in mind that the Old Testament was written thousands of years ago. Yep. In a different country in a different continent, and in a different language. So when they say a certain word, you better believe that there's probably some historical, chronological, geographical differences of what a word means then than it does now. Yes, certainly. Second, uh, you know, this, this this is a really deep question to... To, to think through. So we're not gonna be able to get into everything about it. But a second thing to keep in mind is that there was slavery in the Old Testament, but also there was slavery in nearly every single ancient Near East country that Israel was surrounded by and, and in the Greco-Roman world 
as well. So therefore, this is God's regulating of something that's pervasive amongst all of the countries of the world at that time. Yeah, I don't think it's like that could be seen as like, well, that's a cop-out answer. It's, you know, everybody did it. So, mm-hmm. you know, but I think your point is this is a little bit like what we talked about. I think it was last week when Jesus was talking about, um, you know, Moses talking about divorce and Jesus saying, well, that was because of the hardness of your heart. Like that's why those rules were there about divorce because that wasn't how God intended it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. And you know, a teaching that's taught throughout uh, the old Testament that Jesus even later ends up, you know, summarizing for us is that all of the old Testament can be summarized by two commands. Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. So Leviticus 19, 18, you shall love your neighbor as I am, I or uh, as yourself. I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. So that's even another filter that we should have of all the Old Testament law is that ultimately Israel was meant to be a loving people mm-hmm. seeking the best interests of those around them. Mm-hmm. An- uh, I don't remember what number I'm on. Fourth, thirdly. Something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the most common forms of slavery was um, someone selling themselves as a slave to pay off debts. So basically, as a way for someone to, uh, you know, if, if you owed them a bunch of money and you couldn't pay it off, you would say, uh, "Okay, well, you can take all of my possessions and me as your slave for the mm-hmm. uh, upcoming, you know, period of time." Next. Slaves were protected under abuses. Mm-hmm. If you struck a slave, according to Exodus 21, and they went blind, then the slave could go free. Mm-hmm. If you killed a slave, according to Exodus 21, you were to be put to death as yep. well. Yeah. And later in, De- in Deuteronomy 24, you know, there's a, in verse 5, it says, If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of people of Israel and treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. Right. So there's there's even some regulation there. And anything you'd add so far before I keep going on? Uh, I mean, no. Okay. Lastly, slaves were to be treated so well uh, in Israel that there would even be an opportunity if there when there was an opportunity for them to leave. You know, every seven years, a slave would be allowed to be freed from basically his yeah. servitude to whoever he had sold himself into. Yeah, it wasn't indefinite. Yep. So every seven years. But this is where it gets interesting. In Exodus 21, this is verse 1 and verse 5, these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he should go free uh, for nothing. And then later on it says, but if a slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children... I will not. I will not I go out. I want to stay. I want to stay. Yeah. So, like, ideally, the circumstances that you would create this culture of a slave that would say, "I don't. I don't. This is. This is better for me here." Yeah. And, you yeah. Know. Yeah. I think, given all that, the other thing that I would say is, you know, there there are things. There's there's tons of continuity that we see between the Old and New Testament mm-hmm. throughout the whole Bible, and that's part of why we're doing this is to kind of see the the bigger picture the continuity but we have to also recognize that, that there is some discontinuity mm-hmm. uh, for example you don't bring a lamb to slaughter mm-hmm. to church i mean we th- we there's discontinuity you know so and one of the 
aspects of discontinuity I think that we have to see is there are certain things that were permitted in the Old Testament that are prohibited in the New Testament. Slavery is one of those. Again, all that you've said, it's not chattel slavery Mm -hmm. like what we think of in our history, in American history. So there are things that are permitted within like these boundaries. Even in the New Testament, though, I don't know that it's, if you could ever say it's prohibited specifically, but it is, it is um, like the book of Philemon, like changes the relationship so much that it basically says you are equal. You know, you got to you know, learn to, you know, like Paul says to Philemon, accept um, Onesimus as my son, you know? And so it, it, the New Testament puts people on such equal footing that it couldn't sustain itself. Yeah. In first Timothy one, I actually would say there is this, there is an example of this where it turns into, it is prohibited. And it actually says in first Timothy one, that the law is laid down for the lawless and the disobedient and actually goes on to list enslavers, mm. you know, people that are buying and selling, uh, people. So that's kind of an interesting, um, interesting point. So hopefully that's a, it's a brief answer to a really deep question. And ho- there's some other really good resources on the Bible project that, uh, that, that was, that were very helpful in looking for this. Okay. The second question is a question that's also very interesting. Another heavy hitter. Hmm. I don't even know how to say these things. Just try it. The Urim and Thummim stones. There, there you go. So good. So there's this interesting... Here's the question. Hello. What is divination? At times in scripture, it appears that divination is listed as a sin, but at other times it's used by the priests, such as the Urim and Thurim stones. And even Joseph mentions a cup of divination. Is it permissible or is it condemned under the law? So some people might have even kind of missed this as they read. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of this minor thing that the, um, the priest would wear this kind of vest-ish thing yeah, and then use these stones to like try to discern God's will essentially. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the interesting things is when I was researching for this, they really don't know how it was used. Yeah. There's some speculation of how it was, but essentially it was given as a resource to help discern God's will for a particular event when they didn't have actual guidance. But, yeah. you know, was it like th- someone was saying, uh, was it light that's being shown through the stones right. and, you yeah. know, who knows? But, you know, what's also interesting is like div- divination. I just realized I'm getting my degree in Master's of Divinity. Oh. So, man, I hope it's not bad because <laughs> that would, I feel like that would just be really problematic. Uh, it might be. And you told me to get that degree. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I have that degree as well. So, so uh, it's interesting. Later in Deuteronomy, it talks about other practices of divination is people that burn their sons or daughters yeah. or they're casting spells and, and doing all sorts of stuff. So typically th- those are more so associated with some of the pagan practices that are going on yeah. around. Yeah. I think short answer is divination is not a part of God's will. <laughs> the Urum and the Thummim that seem to be again, um, pre 
all that we have, you know, scripture, you know, completed scripture, Holy Spirit, you know, pre that a way to, you know, discern the Lord's will. I don't really understand it beyond that. I mean, it it might be somewhat similar. Probably the closest thing we could look at New Testament wise is like the casting of lots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Somewhat similar to that. Yeah. Uh, But bigger picture, you know, Joseph having a, a cup of divination. There's a lot of other things that Joseph did that weren't, weren't right. Yeah. And we're not even sure what that meant. He could have been telling that as a fable because he's trying to set up his brothers to uh, basically come back and repent essentially. So yeah, probably mostly similar to like casting lots. I think, I think that's a great way to, to think about it. Um, And again, even with casting lots, that's an interesting one because although we aren't prohibited from casting lots, but nowhere in scripture are we, Commanded, commanded to we yeah. we need to, we absolutely must yeah. although, there, although there are examples of yeah yeah um, people doing it yeah. so all right man some heavy questions and good obviously stuff a lot of it's great that people are thinking critically about this stuff you want to close in prayer for people who are reading second kings this week let's do it all right man father thank you that you've given us uh grace to come this far in the journey of reading through your word and I pray that even as we see the lives of these kings uh, that we would take a look at our own lives and think about um, what it means to be faithful to you and even when it's unpopular and Lord I pray that you would give us eyes to see what that looks like for us and I pray that we wouldn't just read this in a judgmental way but of others, but we would really be self-reflective learning and thinking about our own lives and wanting to live faithfully to you in the times that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, bro. All right, man.